On this episode of the Nesson Soccer Podcast, we preview the remaining Champions League quarterfinals, discuss the shocking hiring of Andrea Pirlo at Juventus, and hear from U.S. Women's National Team star Sam Ewis on her move to Manchester City. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Nesson Soccer Podcast. I am Mark along with Marcus to talk a lot of Champions League once again, but we're also going to hear from U.S. Women's National Team uh, mainstay Sam Ewis, who has just announced a big-time move to Manchester City. Um, And we'll also talk about a coaching change at Juventus that Definitely surprised Marcus, and I think surprised everybody. But Marcus, uh, good to talk to you again. We're Zooming, week two. Yep, ready to go, ready and willing. (laughs) Um, So let's dive into Paris Saint-Germain pulling off a thrilling comeback versus Atalanta. Um, That was on Wednesday in the first Champions League quarterfinal. what a heartbreaker for Atalanta looking to advance in the Champions League to a stage that they had never reached in their history. Um, they had a one nothing lead into the 90th minute, and by the 93rd minute, they were trailing 2-1 to one and ultimately lost 2-1. to one. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain did not look very good, especially in the first half. Neymar did not look very good. Kylian Mbappe subbed on in the 60th minute as he was uh, kind of not able to play a full 90 coming back from his injury. Um, PSG also lost their keeper, uh, Kaylor Navas, um, in the 80th minute. That didn't seem to factor in too much as PSG was pressing the attack. Um, but oof, I, I really feel for Atalanta Marcus. Um, but what a thrilling game and just what an exciting way to get the quarterfinals underway. Yeah, it was. Um, it was one of those endings that, uh, really got me out of my seat. It was, um, you know, this last, uh, the last few days, this, this Champions League restart, uh, it's given a bit of excitement that I wasn't expecting, uh, starting first with uh, Lionel Messi's destruction of uh, Napoli in the round of 16. And then mm-hmm. now the um, PSG Atalanta game really was, um, you know, I didn't watch the game too closely, but I was on the edge of my seat by the end of right. it when yeah. I thought PSG were going to go out in the round of 16 for what looks like the uh, thousandth year in a row. Uh, <laughs> they, they, they went through to the quarterfinals. So, oh, sorry, uh, went through to the, to the semifinals. Uh, when PSG's, uh, when Qatar Sports Investment bought this team back in uh, 2011, PSG has been, they've been dominating France ever since. And yeah. For some reason, they just haven't been able to reach uh, the, the promised land that is the Champions League semifinal. So uh, they finally did it, um, I would say, at the eighth or ninth time of trying. And uh, good for them. But, yeah, real heartbreak for uh, Atalanta. Yeah. Uh, I, I think any questions about the Champions League being fun and entertaining, you know, in this format without fans and neutral sites and all that, uh, has been thrown out the window because there have been some very exciting matches and more to come. But 
you know, we did want to mention quickly the reason it's so heartbreaking for Atalanta is not just that they had the 1-0 victory, not just – or the 1-0 lead, and not just that they were going to advance to a stage um, – to the furthest stage that they had ever advanced to in European competition, uh, but also because Atalanta in Bergamo in Italy was sort of the epicenter early on of the COVID-19 outbreak. And um, certainly the region, you know, like everywhere else, but even, um, you know, back at, back at that time, just was completely unprepared for anything like what coronavirus brought. Um, and was completely outmatched um, and had, you know, uh, estimated 3,000 deaths in a city of 120,000 people, 100,000 people. Um, And, uh, you know, like many stories that we've seen in the past, a city will galvanize behind its biggest sports team, and that is Atalanta. For this region and Atalanta in itself has been building up for years to come now uh, to get to this stage. So it's just kind of really heartbreaking. Um, but, you know, it was a great run for them. And uh, it, it's just uh, sometimes that's that's how it works. But uh, tough for the Serie A also. I mean, I think in European play in both Europa and Champions League, uh, aside from, I think, Inter Milan advanced in the Europa League, I think everyone else lost. Um, yeah, the, so. um, you know, I just want to go back to, it's hard, and, you know, you'll have to forgive me, it was only yesterday that I started to realize the, uh, the scale of what uh, Bergamo, uh, and apologies if I'm not pronouncing it right, uh, <laughs> went through, you know, estimated... 3,000 deaths in a city of 120,000, just for comparison's sake, uh, Boston or even Suffolk County in Massachusetts has uh, to date roughly 1,000 deaths due to uh, COVID-19 in an area that has to have around 3 million people. Uh, Right. This region really was uh, probably hit as hard or harder than anywhere else in Europe. And... um, you might not know this, but one of the one of my favorite things about sports and uh, especially soccer is when these real life stories intertwine with the sport where, um, you know, the games or the teams or the players start to take on a bigger meaning. Uh, right. they, they start to mean something bigger than just the game and uh, just the sport. Now, you've mentioned a couple times and you know how much I hate correcting you. Uh, Atlanta, not only have they never reached the Champions League quarterfinals, uh, this is their first season ever in the Champions League. Uh, this team. Oh, wow, I did not realize that. Five years yeah. ago, five years ago, they were five points away from being, uh, they, they were almost relegated from Serie A mm-hmm. five years yeah. ago and uh, just narrowly escaped. And since then, they've been building, building, building. Now they're yeah. one of the eight best teams in Europe. They finished third in Syria, uh, one of the most exciting, um, one of the most exciting styles of play. I think they scored almost a hundred goals in Syria. Uh, their coach, John Piero Gasparini, um, you, you know, he deserves a lion's share of the credit for it. But this team represents the city of Bergamo, and 
it's I mean the scale the the toll of suffering that they've been through um, since March and you know their round of 16 first leg game which took place against Valencia in February they yeah. won four to one that was um, that was probably the biggest win in the club's hundred plus year history um, mm-hmm. so reaching this quarterfinal and taking PSG to the absolute limit um, <laughs> winning in the 90th minute uh, at the end of the game I said you know Atalanta they they really messed it up um, because to go that far and then concede twice uh, you know they, they're going to regret how they went out of the Champions League this year but the right. club and uh, the city um, you know they have countless reasons to be to be proud of what they've achieved right and um, just to kind of wrap it up there they have plenty to look forward to as you said finished third in Syria I think the 2018-19 season they had their most points ever in a season and I'm not sure if they even set another record this past year in 2019-20 but yeah they'll be back in Champions League when that starts up you know in a couple months again they're right into the group stage so I think more to come also with Juventus uh, seem to be dipping a little bit Maybe they'll actually make a legitimate run at a Scudetto. And uh, I, I think uh, if you want to see exciting Italian soccer, watch Atalanta. Um, but on the other side, PSG, they're through to the semifinals, but with a lot of question marks. I mean, obviously, had to kind of pull a rabbit out of their hat, scoring two goals in the final five minutes to beat Atalanta. But Keller Navas uh, is, seems to have hurt either his groin or hamstring. And they played their semifinal on the 18th on Tuesday, which is less than a week away, less than a week between matches. So not much time to recover from an injury like that. Also, they're um, still Kylian Mbappe working his way back. But, um, you know, he did play a 30 minutes uh, in the quarterfinal. So I would assume that he'll be able to play even more than that in the semifinal. Um, but, you know, I mean, it wasn't a convincing win, that's for sure. No. Yeah. Um, you know, the novice injury is – that's going to be huge. That's going to be everything. This is the first season that PSG has had a top goalkeeper. Uh, yeah. Novice has four Champions League winners medals. Um, he is – you know, he's reached the top. He's stayed at the top, and his injury could be – uh, could lead to PSG's downfall. Um, I would be surprised. We're still waiting on a diagnosis on what the injury was, but if it's a groin pull, maybe there's a chance he's back for Tuesday. Maybe he's back for the final, which would be on the um, 23rd, I believe, uh, a mm-hmm. week from Sunday. But if it's a hamstring, uh, hamstrings are usually three weeks to six weeks. So, That'll, um, it, it's definitely one of the big storylines to come out, uh, come out of the game. His backup, Sergio Rico. Uh, <laughs> Who? <laughs> exactly. You know the, uh, the great Nesson soccer podcast truism is that if I've never heard of him, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say he's a nobody, but uh, he's not somebody who comes in with a uh, sterling reputation. He has played, he joined PSG from Sevilla last July, and since then, he has played in two UEFA Champions League games, counting yesterday, two League One games, 
two French Cup games and three French League Cup games. So yeah. if he has to uh if he has to backstop PSG to Champions League glory, uh he'll have to be uh, he'll he'll have to up his game. Um, and yeah. It's just one of those things in sports where the star goes down at the worst moment. Uh, we'll we'll see what PSG's next man up mentality is. Um, yeah, and in his last League One game, I believe if if uh, if what I'm looking at is correct, he surrendered three goals to Bordeaux in a four-three PSG win. So a, a game like that, uh, and that PSG, was and that was when. That was in February. Okay. And we're so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so especially a game like that, those are the kind of games where sometimes you, you check the box score and PSG has won six to nothing or something like that. Uh, so much closer than typical. But uh, if there is any good news, it's that they're on – they'd face the winner of uh, Red Bull Leipzig versus Atletico Madrid which is, in theory, I think a little better than facing, you know, potentially Bayern Munich or Man City or Barcelona in the semifinal, or Lyon, I guess. But, um, you know, I guess they're sort of on the easier side of the bracket. But, you know, at this stage, no matter who you face, they're going to be a very legitimate side. So, uh, but yeah, let's – anything else you want to touch on with PSG Atalanta? Um, no, great game, great drama. Go Champions League, yeah. Uh, Okay, so we are recording right now on Thursday. It's about 1 o'clock. So by the time we get this out, uh, Leipzig versus Atletico Madrid will be well underway, most likely. But, um, you know, a great run for Leipzig so far. Uh, Certainly a lot to be proud of. And Atletico Madrid, it's kind of like, you know, yeah, they're kind of in the PSG boat sometimes, but they've had a lot of good Champions League success over the year. But we can't really get too much into that based on the fact that the game is about to be played. So do you want to just get right to Bayern versus Barcelona? Well, just a couple quick things about RB Leipzig. This is their first run in the – they are the most hated team in Germany because of their corporate backing. But they – now they're in the Champions League knockouts for the first time, and they have to do so without their best player, uh, Timo Werner, who joined Chelsea in July uh, in a big money transfer uh, that I wrote about on Nesson.com. And he had the option of uh, potentially staying on through the end of RB Leipzig's Champions League run. He declined, decided uh, he wanted to join Chelsea have a full preseason with them or as full as we can in 2020. So uh, it's RB Leipzig minus Timo Werner, their best player and top scorer, only making the job tougher for Atletico Madrid. Um, I'm expecting Atletico Madrid to win ugly, setting up a date with PSG, and uh, I can't call it right away. Unless Tyler Adams lifts the the hearts of of Leipzig and U.S. national team fans and – that's a that's a couple of goals, but you know, let's move on. Bayern Munich versus Barcelona. That will be three p.m. on Friday. Um, so obviously, Lionel Messi put on such a vintage show uh, versus Napoli in the round of sixteen. 
kind of almost even a bit of a throwback for Messi. Um, he looked like it was it was almost 10 years ago with the kind of goals he was pulling off and the way yeah. he was running through the defense. And as entertaining as that was to to watch, I think the reality is that Napoli is just not on the level that Bayern Munich is on. And you, you know, even Lionel Messi is not going to be able to slice through the Bayern Munich defense the way he did against Napoli. And, um, you know, that's bad news for Barcelona because uh, I think that Bayern Munich will, will kind of be too much. And, um, you know, they looked good against Chelsea and were able to kind of ramp back up to, you know, they got a game to, to get back into the playing mindset because they had a long layoff and now it's go time. It's all business. And this is what Bayern Munich's all about. I mean, the Bundesliga is an afterthought sometimes, and it's all about champions league. This is why they play for Bayern Munich. And um, I think that means it's tough luck for Barca. Yeah. um, I would say that over two legs, I would put everything on Bayern, but this is one leg, and who knows just how angry Lionel Messi is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Luis Suarez, there's a sense that this or maybe next year is the last run of uh, this glorious Barcelona era. Uh, if it were two legs, I'd go all in on Bayern. But over one leg, uh, we just don't know what Messi and co. are capable of. However, I do predict that the winner of this game is going to win the Champions League. Oh, well, I like your uh, optimism for Barcelona because uh, from a fan perspective, the farther Messi advances, the better. Uh, but as you said, Suarez and Messi are both 33 years old now. Um, Messi only just turned 33 in June. But uh, yeah, certainly on the tail end of things. Um, it, I think I'm most excited. I think it's clear that that's the most exciting matchup of the quarterfinals, at least going into it prior to what happened with PSG Atalanta. But um, let's go on to the final quarterfinal. That'll be Manchester City versus Lyon. That's on Saturday at 3 p.m. Um, Lyon upset Juventus. Uh, they already had the one nothing aggregate lead going into the second leg round of 16 matchup. Juventus uh, looked uh, – I mean, Juventus is in trouble, and we'll get into that a little bit more when we talk about Pirlo. But, um, you know, Lyon – nonetheless, Lyon defeating Juventus in the round of 16 of the Champions League is certainly a Cinderella story of, of sorts. Um, so now they would be real Cinderellas if they could pull off the upset against Manchester City. Uh, and my heart wants that to happen, but, you know, we live in the real world, and as we've seen, the real world can be very cold. And um, I think it would be uh, probably the most shocking result possible if Leon were to beat Manchester City in this quarterfinal. Yeah, the um, you know, it's interesting, Leon. They were the dominant team in France uh, between, let's say, 2000 and 2010. Uh, they were PSG before PSG. Uh, and you asked in our, uh, when we were previewing this episode, if they're the new Cinderella. Uh, no, that is, uh, that was Atalanta. And right. just as certain as I was that Juventus would beat them in the round of 16, 
I'm even more certain Manchester City will beat them. Uh, Manchester <laughs> City, they're flying high after uh, that famous win over Real Madrid. Uh, Lyon will be tough, but uh, yeah, Manchester, Manchester City, I see uh, just too much firepower and not enough for Lyon. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, so we hope you, the fans, have been in, enjoying our uh, Champions League previews and discussions. The semifinals will both take place on Tuesday and Wednesday next week, and we're going to get back on to record an episode next Thursday to uh, recap the semifinals, look forward to the final. So that's the next time you'll hear from us about the Champions League. And certainly in a week's time, Marcus, there are bound to be plenty of stories because we've seen in a week's time, um, dating back to last Thursday, uh, plenty has changed. And you were very surprised to see the change. You said on our show last week that, you know, the Champions League and results surrounding the Champions League always lead to players transferring and certainly managers and even, you know, things like sporting directors, people getting fired, people getting hired as a result of advancing in the Champions League. Um, And you thought that that wouldn't be the case this year because of the format, because it's neutral sites, it's uh, single elimination. um, But that's not what happened to Juventus. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I I have invited you to take me to task for last week's take. Um, You know, this is the problem. Uh, You know, we relaunched the Nesson Soccer Podcast last week, and I wanted to come in with a hot take. My hot take was that the, uh, the results wouldn't lead to major managerial casualties, uh, after the first, you know, after the first restart day, uh, dead wrong. So what I've since learned, other than I shouldn't just offer a take for the sake of offering a take, is that Maurizio Sarri was uh, the proverbial dead man walking mm. long before I ever said he and everybody else would hold on to their jobs. Um, I think it was... Uh, Guillaume Balaguer, I was listening to a podcast, he uh, works with CBS uh, over here in the United States. He was saying that uh, basically back in February, uh, Juventus had all but decided that Sarri was only going to manage the team for one year. Uh, his, he was at odds with a number of leading players. Um, his number two actually had stormed out and quit. Uh, so there was a lot of turmoil behind the scenes. and. Uh-huh. The result against Lyon, uh, although they did go on to win Syria and win his first, the first major trophy of his career, he was still uh, he was still donezo before, uh, even before the Champions League. So my take was off, but uh, only half off. Yeah, well, and yeah, that's definitely true of just the overall season. Juventus was never even before the restart, um, or even before, yeah, back in. March, uh, Juventus was not pulling away from the field in Syria by any means. Um, and, uh, so, you know, that's not what Juventus is used to. Although I think that, you know, the Syria is rising, as I say, um, but that led to, uh, Pirlo becoming the new manager of Juventus, which I think is much more shocking than the fact that Sarri is out. Um, 
Pirlo has no managerial experience and only has just retired. And, you know, there's no questioning his legendary status as a player, uh, World Cup champion, um, tons of Serie A titles and countless others. Um, but, you know, I mean, we've written in the notes here. He was Juventus U23 coach for 10 days, didn't coach in any games. And that is his experience as a manager, unless if he hasn't been coaching anywhere else in these past three years since he retired. No. Um, and it, it's shocking to me because Juventus is certainly a place that can get, you know, the, you know, they're, they're behind very few other clubs as far as like an attractive place to come and coach. Um, so I don't know, Marcus, what do you make of it? Oh, I was uh, shocked. It was one of the <laughs> one of the stories I love that just come out of left field. Uh, I was preparing to write about Sari being fired, and then you know Juventus uh, within a couple hours made this, and it was an absolute bombshell of an announcement because they had hired Pirlo at the end of July as the coach of their under twenty three team. Okay, that's you know he had finished his uh, coaching badges about a year ago. And after he retired in 2017, he said he didn't want to get into coaching. It was too stressful. Uh, he since had a change of heart. And all of a sudden, he is now in one of the top jobs uh, in all of world soccer. Well, uh, interesting to note, according to uh, Guillaume Balaguet, he was, uh, Pirlo is only going to be paid around 2 million euros, uh, whereas you take Antonio Conte, who's at Inter Milan, he's making at least... 10 million euros. So this is, um, Pirlo is hired on a two-year contract. Uh, as we know, that's really good for one year. Um, Juventus <laughs> said in their statement that, you know, they think he can be as legendary a coach as he was a player. Uh, we'll see as far as rolls of the dice go. This is, uh, this, this, you know, this is huge. It came yeah. out of left field and I love it. Uh, I've been a <laughs> Pirlo fanboy for, for years, and I hope he uh, sits on the Juventus bench with a glass of wine. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, but I kind of agree with you that I, I don't think it's the worst idea because if you kind of factor in the, the pressure that all these clubs are constantly under and the sort of insane, irrational fan bases, um, you know, if, if Pirlo had ever come out and said, I want to be the Juventus manager, then every single fan would be pushing for like Pirlo has his has divine right to be the Juventus manager if he so chooses. And um, basically what you can do here is you give Pirlo an opportunity. And if he fails, then, hey, you fire him, you go get a legitimate coach and you never have to worry about any sort of Pirlo um, you know, people calling for him to be the manager and and he comes in and disrupts your plans as a club um, by, you know, doing that. But, um, and then on the flip side, if he, if Pirlo somehow can be the maestro of, uh, as a manager, um, then it's, you know, you look like a genius. So it's, it's an interesting situation because, you know, if you ever have a, such an extremely popular player that wants to be a manager, you know, it's, it's like the club, it's almost, it's a very rare occasion where you can hire a manager 
and any result doesn't really fall back on the club too much. Um, and like the, you know, the sporting director and the people in charge won't fall under much pressure if Pirlo is a disaster. And if he's a, if he does great, then they look like geniuses. Um, similar situation in, uh, I'm sorry to do this, Marcus, but similar situation in Roma where Daniele De Rossi and Francesco Totti have both said in the past they want to be the manager of Roma and neither, of course, have any coaching credentials at all. Um, but yet the Roma fans insist that one of them should be the manager, you know, this coming season. Um, obviously, it's not something that's realistic, but it has influence. Yes, um, or, yes or no. Yeah. Will Pirlo pull a Zidane? And by pulling a Zidane, I mean become a coach and start winning the biggest prizes. And, and become a coach and become a legend as a coach, as just a coach. as he was a player. Yes or no? No. I think he'll win Syria, but I don't think he'll be what Zidane is. The answer I think Juventus. Is, no. But. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the squad profile at Juventus is much different than it was at uh, than Zidane had at Real Madrid. Uh, Juventus' players are getting older and they're coming to the end of a cycle and I see trouble ahead. Too bad for Pirlo. Too bad. All right, so let's move on to our final topic. Uh, that is Massachusetts, Massachusetts native Samantha Mewis, uh, U.S. Women's National Team 2019 World Cup, Women's World Cup champion, um, winner of, I think, three NWSL titles now. Um, she is making a move to Manchester City. And uh, certainly a big-name club. Um, we're going to go real quick to Sam Mewis's reaction to going to the club. There's just so much going on in the world right now. And um, when I heard that I might have the chance to come play for Man City, um, my ears, like, really perked up because I know that just the club overall is just one of the top clubs in the world. And um, I have followed the men's team for a long time. Um, and I hear such good things about the women's side and all of the facilities and just the way the club is run. So um, when I first heard about it, I was really, really excited and um, wanted to see if it would all work out. And luckily it did. Yeah, a lot of things about the league have excited me. I've heard um, from a couple teammates of mine who have played in the FAWSL um, that it's just a little bit different from the NWSL and that um, it's a good way to expose yourself to a little bit of a different style or um, like a, a different tactical side of the game. Okay, Marcus. Uh, well, real quick, that soundbite came from the Manchester City internal media. They call it City TV. So thank you to them. But very exciting move for Sam Mewis. Yeah, it, um, you know, what really struck me was how she talks about uh you know, the word facilities came out. Um, Manchester City has their, their facilities are second to none. And one thing that they've done in recent years is having, they, they're really investing in their women's team, um, which, and in that, they're giving them access. And a lot of the men's Premier League clubs either aren't doing it or uh, are very late to the game, but it's really giving them access to the training and, um, you know, the coaching facilities that are open on the, uh, for the men's side, the women's team gets to use them as well. So Sam Mewis talked about um, 
speaking with Carly Lloyd, who uh, went to Manchester City in 2017, who was just raving about the facilities. Well, that helped Carly Lloyd stay fit, keep her place in the national team, because this is what it's really about. It's right. uh, improving as a player. So the NWSL held a Challenge Cup, but now the rest of their 2020 season is up in the air. Uh, we haven't heard anything. So what has Sam Mewis done? She decides she's going to take her talents to England, uh, new environment, step out of her comfort zone, and uh, push herself. So what she's done there, she, she'll become the fourth uh, high-profile U.S. women's national team player to uh, go to an English club, joining uh, Crystal Dunn. She played there in 27, played in Chelsea 2017 and 2018. Carly Lloyd was at Man City in 2017. Heather O'Reilly played for Arsenal in, 2000, in 2017 and 2018. So um, I think this is only going to be good for uh, Team USA, and um, it'll, it'll be good just exposing, exposing the players to a new style of play, uh, probably better facilities than she had at, uh, with the Carolina Courage. And, you know, there's, there's an Olympics coming up next year, 2021. And then the uh, 2023 World Cup is just over the horizon. So a uh, great move for Sam Mewis, and I'm sure Massachusetts and all of uh, New England and the United States will be rooting for her. Yeah, and even um, traveling – or women's national teams players traveling abroad. Also, Alex Morgan and Megan Rapino played in France. Yep. Um, so it's definitely – and it's not necessarily a situation where um, we see them go – for a year or two and then return to the NWSL. Um, so it's, it's almost like exposing yourself to just a new style of the game, like Samuel said in that clip. Um, I think also that when you factor in like over the course of three or four years, because the women's national team has a much bigger time commitment to uh, national team games, um, you know, it's, it's difficult to, to conduct an entire career in Europe um, and fulfill the women's national team obligations. Um, so I think that is something that really leads to uh, women's national team players spending, you know, the majority of their careers in the NWSL. But it is also something that I think certainly the top players on the women's national team all seem to, you know, at least have a spell if not, uh, you know, one or two full seasons over in Europe to kind of just grow their game, expand their game, and uh, become a more well-rounded player, which, you know, yeah. Um, but, yeah, obviously very exciting for, for Sam Mewis, and um, it's a shame, you know, we should be – or, no, I guess the uh, Olympics would have just been wrapping up right now, um, if I'm not mistaken – uh, and I, I, I'm sure the women's national team would have uh, had a good showing. But in 2021, we'll see them. So that's okay. Uh, but, yeah, Marcus, uh, another great show. I enjoyed myself. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Um, you got anything to add before we get out of here? No. Okay. Uh, Leipzig has not announced their lineup yet, so we don't know if Tyler Adams is starting. But we'll find out soon. <laughs> All right, thank you for listening. couldn't hear me roll my eyes. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening to the Nesson Soccer Podcast. Please be sure to go uh, search the Nesson Soccer Podcast on iTunes or Spotify where you can like, subscribe, 
comment, review, criticize. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at Mark D. Benz or follow Marcus at MK Omar. Um, thanks for tuning in. Turn up the Rebel Radio. Then why is you must have to know? Stop it, turn up the Rebel Radio.